What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron. Today, we're going to go over my top 10 running back rankings for your dynasty rookie drafts that are taking place this month with a little bit of a twist. It's going to be my top 10. And then I'm also going to separate them by tier so you guys can kind of see the clear drop-offs at the position that I'm seeing personally. Now, we did a video like this last night on the wide receivers. If you haven't seen that already, go check it out. You guys absolutely went crazy on that. Blew it up for like 3,000 views in 24 hours, which is pretty crazy. And that ended up being kind of a behemoth. I think it ended up being like 50 minutes long. So I don't want to make this intro too long. We're going to get into these players, do a deep dive on my top 10 running backs. Without further ado, if you want the full rankings, I have my full running back rankings, wide receiver, quarterback, running back, my top 50 rookie rankings to dominate your rookie drafts coming up here, all on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. If you enjoy the video, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. All right, let's get me in the top right corner of the tier list. And at number one, <clears throat> running back one overall in S tier by himself, Brees Hall. And this is going to be pretty much chalk. I think everybody has Brees Hall here, rightfully so. And I will say, just a side note, very excited as a Jets fan to just have like a top fantasy asset. I mean, we have a top... We have the RB1 in this class, the wide receiver three at worst in this class. And if we look at, we zoom out to like Dynasty ADP, the Jets have a like top 20 quarterback in Dynasty ADP, uh, like top six running back in Dynasty ADP, two top 24 wide receivers at worst in Dynasty ADP. We're on the up and up here. We're building something here in New York, fellas. This is not the same old Jets is what I've been saying here. Now, when we talk about Brees Hall and what this means for fantasy, he goes 36 overall to the Jets, second round. The Jets actually traded up. They traded up in front of the Texans, I believe to make sure that they secure they secured Brees Hall which tells me they really want the guy and I've been seeing a lot of takes on Twitter you know just circling around with the idea that I, I've I've seen takes on Twitter that like they don't like Brees Hall's landing spot because Michael Carter's there and I've seen like oh well uh Michael Carter's already there I'm really not in love with this landing spot fellas I mean, when we're talking about op wide open depth charts in the NFL, there's not many of them. Coming into the draft, what, it was probably like the Falcons, the Texans, two teams who are kind of dumpster fires but don't have any running backs. Outside of that, there really isn't a wide open running back room in the NFL. There is no such thing as a wide open running back room. Every, every running back room is some form of a committee. You're always going to have a role player there, whether that's like a Kenyon Drake or a Naeem Hines or a Tariq Cohen or, you know, a J.D. McKissick in Washington. There's always going to be numerous running backs part of that committee. There's not going to be a clear runway for a running back to take off like, I guess, the Steelers had it last year with Najee Harris, but that's really it. So, Brees Hall landing here, I think is fine. I think the Jets were one of the better landing spots. If you had to, if you put a gun to my head and said, you know, five best landing spots for Brees Hall pre-draft, I would have named the Jets as one, as one of them. I probably would have said, like, Jets, Falcons, Texans... I don't know. I'm kind of blanking right now because you're putting me on the spot here, but you get what I'm saying. Now, when we talk about this landing spot, Brees Hall going there, the biggest roadblock is Michael Carter. I don't really see that as a roadblock. I know that some people do see that as a roadblock. Personally, I see this very similar to Jonathan Taylor coming to the Colts, and then they already have Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines. Eventually, talent went out. Jonathan Taylor became that top dog, and that's really all there is to be said. Now, it is worth noting that in Jonathan Taylor's rookie year, he had a very rough start. Not a very rough start, but he was the RB19 in points per game through 10 weeks. And then, as we all know, went on an absolute tear down the stretch. Final seven games went was the RB3 on like the final six or seven games. Went absolutely crazy. So it wouldn't shock me 
if it was somewhat similar where the Jets kind of ease in Brees Hall and sort of defer to Michael Carter, maybe give um, Brees Hall the majority of the rushing work and give Michael Carter uh, a majority of the receiving work and maybe, you know, 40% of the rushes somewhere in there. Like, I'm not saying that Brees Hall is going to come out here right on the runway and be a top 10 running back in fantasy, but when we're talking about a rookie running back. That's not really the expectation or should that really be the expectation? Now, I think it will be very similar to what we saw with Jonathan Taylor, where midway through the season, Brees Hall, if he's good, right? Remember, when we picked these players in our rookie drafts, we're betting on these players to be good, to be talented at their position. If he is talented, if he has, if he is as good as advertised, he will beat out Michael Carter, a day three running back who really wasn't that great last year. Um, past that, I think it's wheels up. I think by midseason, he takes the job over completely. And then also, this is dynasty. So when we zoom out and we talk about Brees Hall, who really only has a wide open depth chart when we talk about like Ty Johnson, Tevin Coleman behind Michael Carter, and then a day three running back that this team isn't super invested into for the long term. Long term, this is wheels up. Brees Hall is going to be that RB1 for this team for the next, for pretty much the entirety of his rookie contract, unless if he's just straight up not good at football or like some freak injury happens. Now, I even like, you know, I think Jonathan Taylor is a good comp for him. I also think that Nick Chubb is a good comp for him, where Nick Chubb came in there showed flashes Carlos Hyde was like the RB1 I don't think that Michael Carter is going to be the the 1A I think that he'll be the 1B and then eventually just be the B where Nick Chubb came in there showed by like midseason he was that guy and just you know took control of that backfield and then from there he has been the guy in Cleveland now when we look at Brees Hall I've only talked about his his landing spot so far he's a very clean prospect when we talk about his profile he is an elite running back prospect. He's the only elite running back prospect in this draft class. Elite running backs hit top 12 seasons. So RB1 seasons 80% of the time. It's a really, really good cohort to be a part of. He has an elite profile. When we look at it across the board, his production was good. His film grade was good. A-plus athleticism, decent receiving, and he's a 21-year-old early declare at running back. His comps are Joe Mixon, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Matt Forte. That's what my system, the RS grade, spit out for him. That's a very strong group, man. I think that he is. I do think that those are all very fair comps. I think that Jonathan Taylor is like the, you know, the the super high end. But I think that he is a Joe Mixon, Matt Forte. I think that that makes sense for Brees Hall. So when you can get that at the 101 in a draft, I think that that is a fine 101 spent. Now, this is where we get a little bit more into the weeds here. And we're going to talk about Kenneth Walker as our RB2 in A tier. And I know that some people have him as like their RB1. Um... For fantasy purposes, I can't get there. Now, first of all, he goes to the Seahawks, uh, 41st overall in the second round. And if you want to talk about competition, I think in my eyes, like I think a lot of people that are the on the uh, Michael Carter is like some huge roadblock for Brees Hall train is they're kind of neglecting the fact that like Rashad Penny looked really good last year. I don't know. My nose is like running. I have allergies here, but playing through the pain. Let me pull this up real quick, though. This is a great tweet from Jacob Rickroad, and it just shows how great Rashad Penny was last year. He started five games at the end of 2021. He put up 692 yards, 138 yards per game, six touchdowns. He looked really, really good. I believe the Seahawks also extended him uh, one year. So he's not there for the long term, but I think right away, Kenneth Walker has a little bit more of a roadblock to immediate production then Brees Hall, you know, Rashad Penny, a former first round pick, looked great last year. I feel like them taking Kenneth Walker tells us a little bit more about how they feel about Chris Carson, a guy who has some kind of like spinal injury where it, at this point I'd kind of be like, I would, if you ask me, if, if you ask me, if, is he going to play another game in the NFL or not? I would probably lean no. 
but it's close. It's close, man. Now, I, I think that they bring him in because, you know, Chris Carson's getting old. He has an injury going on. Now, I will say, regardless, I just wanted to sort of make it clear that I do believe that Kenneth Walker's landing spot's worse than Brees Hall's, and I don't think that that is really a wild claim. Now, I will say, anyways, I, I talked about this last week. Landing spot for me, regardless, isn't really a huge input for me, even with running backs. I know a lot of people make the claim that running backs matter because, like, the depth chart, the immediate depth chart makes sense. Uh, they're more of a, a short shelf life asset, so you care a little bit more about that. A running back in year one, I'm not ultra, ultra concerned unless if you come into a spot where, like, let's say Kenneth Walker went to, like, the Vikings, had to sit behind Dalvin Cook or, you know, something like that, where it's like a Derrick Henry situation where he goes to the Titans and sits behind DeMarco Murray. There's not a clear, like, stud on that team. I really don't care a ton. So he goes to the, the Seahawks, who do like to run the run the ball quite a bit. It's a fine situation, is what I'd say. I'd give it like a like a B minus B. It's it's not uh it's not a huge negative, but I kind of just wanted to get that out of the way for all the people that because I think that most of the Michael Carter um not maybe not even enthusiasts, but just guys who think that Michael Carter takes away from Brees Hall are also neglecting Rashad Penny with Kenneth Walker. Now when we talk about Kenneth Walker, the prospect, he comes out as a gold in my database and the reason why i have him as rb2 and not in the same tier as Brees hall in fantasy we're all playing in ppr leagues kenneth walker his receiving production in college was really bad and i know that a lot of people think i've seen a lot of takes on twitter of like um i'm trying to think of somebody on top of my head that had like a bad receiving uh market share in college and then came into the nfl and was like a, a mega producer in terms of catching the ball we really haven't seen one of those but People do think that, and of course, you can overproduce. You can outproduce what you did in college, right? A lot of people point to, well, he looks natural catching the ball on film. Uh, he was used in Michigan State system where even though that Michigan State has a system where uh, even if they did have a system where they didn't pass the ball a ton to their running backs, we were talking about a guy who who accounted for 1.44% of the receiving yards at Michigan State or just over his entire career. During his three-year career, he only accounted for 1.44% of his college team's receiving yards. That is awful this is every wider this is every running back here that is silver or better and i have it filtered by least career average receiving yard market share he is second lowest in the entire database behind chris wells above deontay foreman it's really not pretty now i know a lot of you guys that are kenneth walker enthusiasts are going to have kind of you know that tunnel vision you're going to zoom in on Derek Henry and agent peterson I, I would just stop you there because if Derrick Henry and Adrian Peterson can succeed, why can't Kenneth Walker? I'm not saying that Kenneth Walker can't succeed, but then that means you are betting on him becoming a generational pure rusher, right? Adrian Peterson, Derrick Henry are some of the greatest pure rushers of our generation. I believe they both have 2,000-yard rushing seasons, but I'm not sure if Adrian Peterson does. I believe they do, but I could be wrong. It's really rough that for Kenneth Walker to hit, right? For Kenneth Walker to hit, he needs to be in otherworldly or not otherworldly i think it's a little bit over the top but an elite elite talent in the nfl like a nick chubb a derrick henry a guy who is one of the best pure rushers in the league not even the one of the best in that top tier pure rushers in the nfl that affects their team in the win in the win loss column and that's really tough because when you're betting on kenneth walker you are for him to hit and for him to pay off and you know for him to be a even a Nick Chubb who I think he's never even had like a top five running back season I think he's just had like a couple top 12 finishes you need a 99th percentile outcome where with like Brees Hall I think that like a median projection for him would be like a Joe Mixon who hasn't done anything crazy but he's he's held on to value he's given you a I believe that he had a top five finish last year but I could be wrong it just feels like Brees Hall you know in terms of just his like his zeroth percent or no his like 50th percentile outcome is median projection 
looks a lot better than Kenneth Walker, where I think that Kenneth Walker's median projection, instead of like a, a Joe Mixon or a Matt Forte, you're kind of looking at, you know, a Ronald Jones, a Damian Harris, a Jordan Howard, you know, I think those are much more fair comps, right? When we look at, again, Derrick Henry, Adrian Peterson, both of those guys, elite prospects, where Derrick Henry was a freak, just like 6'4", 230, or maybe he's like 245, just an absolute freak, runs fast, all that. Adrian Peterson, seventh overall, one of the best college prospects we've ever seen. Kenneth Walker doesn't fit in that category to me. That's why I think in terms of his median projection, we're looking at, you know, Ronald Jones, Damian Harris, Jordan Howard, between the tackles, grinders in the NFL, not a super coveted asset. Now, I still have him as like, I think around like my 105, my RB2, because he is a 21-year-old running back. The top 24 running backs right now are super weak until that 2023 class comes in and pretty much like replenishes everything like we saw with the 2017 draft class. We're stuck with what we got for now. And any 21-year-old running back, is going to have value in dynasty it's really not hard to see where kenneth walker gets like maybe like 700 yards his rookie year and is valued similarly to like a jk dobbins or cam Akers heading into year two as like a top eight to 12 running back in dynasty that's completely in his range of outcomes so from a market perspective and trying to you know gain value in terms of dynasty i think he's absolutely fine in that area but i think we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves putting him as like rb1 as like a generational talent He's not that. He even hit my yards created multiplier. He had a great yards created, 92nd percentile. In my running back model, I have a a threshold where if you hit a certain number of yards created per attempt, which he did, you get a multiplier on your profile. He went from a silver to a gold, meaning that his profile before the yards created multiplier was pretty weak. Now, I don't know if I've made it clear, but a gold running back in my database hits top 12 seasons at a 50% rate, whereas elite hit 80%. So it's a clear, you know, tier down from a Brees Hall. That's why I have him at the A spot. Again, I think from a value perspective of him being just a 21-year-old running back that doesn't have to do a ton to impress in year one, like we just had Travis Etienne have a red shirt year and still maintain top 12 running back uh, dynasty value. Kenneth Walker, all he has to do is just put up probably like 700 yards from scrimmage and show some flashes and you'll probably hold top 12 running back value in dynasty. So from that perspective, I think he's a fine bet. I took him earlier on today. I got him to fall to the 106 in, a, in an analyst league, which is pretty wild. I took him there. So I'm not completely risk adverse to him. I'm not completely adverse to him. I just don't see an argument for him at 101, which is fine, right? Brees Hall consensus 101. But I have him in that tier with the big three wide receivers. I have him behind those big three wide receivers. But if you want to take him ahead of them, more power to you. I think that that, I I have him in the same tier as those guys. So if you do want to do that, that's completely fine with me. Again, I just think that the RB1, like 101 type arguments are a little bit flimsy in my eyes when we're playing in PPR leagues and we have a profile like Kenneth Walker's. Now, when we go to B tier, this is where the the running back. Oh man, the running back class just falls off a cliff here, fellas. Like this is this is ugly. So B tier, we have James Cook. Um, go sixty third overall to the Bills. Again, really not a pretty, really not a pretty running back group. Like James Cook being the RB three in your running back class is just a really really ugly outcome. Now, when we talk about James Cook. We'll go a little bit slim shady here. We'll talk about kind of his negatives first. And the first negative is that he's 5'11", 199 pounds. And that's not great size. Now, I saw a tweet that was, I don't know if I'm going to say that it was in like bad faith or anything, but it, it was a little bit misguided. It was pointed to, it was pointing to, it was like, how can you say James Cook is going to be bad in the NFL because he's too small? We have seen Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, Aaron Jones, Chris Johnson, Shady McCoy, et cetera. All those guys who are around like 5'9 to 5'11 in that like 195 to 200 pound range be successful in the NFL. The problem is, is that this guy, uh, David Wilson, he's one of the, in my opinion, I think that he is one of the sharpest guys when it comes to running backs. He's very, very good at what he does. Throw him a follow. I want to say he, geez, let me, let me, let me pause this real quick. 
Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to find his Twitter real quick before I before I just kind of used his big chart like this. He has a he's a crazy running back model. His at is Wilson Ator. So W I L L S O N eight T O R. Uh David Wilsey on Twitter. He is pretty much I would say like one of my go to like running back sources up there with like a Graham Barfield. In terms of like when it comes down to breaking numbers, he's very good at this. And one of the things that he's been uh driving home, you know, with that Part of the argument of like when Jonathan Taylor came out, they were like, oh, he has too much tread on his tires. He's going to get hurt in the NFL. He actually thinks that you need to have that touches in college and just sustaining volume in college makes you more likely to become a workhorse in the NFL, which is a, a really good theory. And for the most part, it checks out. You have some outliers like an Antonio Gibson, like an Alvin Kamara. But for the most part, it does check out. Now, when you look at all of the guys listed in the tweet, you look at touches per game. That's what it's ordered by, right? So TCH. PG touches per game. You have Austin Eckler who had like 26 touches per game in college. Then you have McCoy 25. All the way down to Elijah Mitchell who had who had 13 touches per game. James Cook is half of that. He had 6.46 touches per game in college. He, I think it's a little bit misguided to say that James Cook will ever be like a bell cow running back, workhorse running back in the same vein as a, uh, you know, as a Christian McCaffrey or he'll 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 never shoulder that workload which is why I don't love James Cook. He comes out as a silver in the model. It's also why the model doesn't really love him. You know, silver, even though he's a round two uh, running back, he only has a 25% hit rate of a top 12 season as a silver running back. But with this being a weak running back class, that's why he's at RB3. I just don't expect him to ever be that bell cow. Don't ever expect James Cook to ever, he's never going to be in, in an area of like 20 touches per game. But the important part about James Cook's game is that he is very efficient and he's very good in the passing game. Now, when we look at this chart here still, we can see the, uh, the percentage of receptions that were a part of his touches. So of those 6.46 touches per game, 22.56% of them came on receptions, the highest of this entire list. So if you're going to cling to anything with James Cook, it's not that, oh, uh, he's small, but can still, still shoulder a big workload. It's that he's small, but he does damage in the receiving game. He was a really fun receiving weapon at Georgia. He played out in the slot, uh, out wide. I remember watching when he got picked in the NFL draft, they were showing like plays of him, like literally lining up on the outside playing receiver a lot. He's this fun, like I would almost call him like a Tony Pollard type mold, almost like a juiced up, like Naeem Hines, where he's a receiving weapon. And that fits really well on this offense because for a team that has a rushing quarterback, I know that the, the it's not even a narrative. It's a pretty known fact at this point. I know J.J. Zacharyson has done a ton of work on it that running backs that go to mobile quarterback teams, they don't see as many targets as running backs who don't. So a lot of the times, Josh Allen's not going to be like checking down or anything, and he's going to be looking to scramble, which is somewhat true. But the Bills look to pass to their running backs a lot. Even Devin Singletary, who was kind of like a part-time player last year, he ran the fourth most routes of any running back last year with 378. And I wouldn't even say that Devin Singletary's strong suit is even receiving, you know, he is more of a between the tackles banger, uh, you know, make people miss wiggle kind of, you know, juke people out in a phone booth. That's kind of Devin Singletary's thing, like sort of juke three guys out in a cloud of dust and get like three yards. He's not good at receiving yet. They still ran him out in routes because they just didn't have a better option. Uh, he was outside the top 15 receiving grade on PFF, outside the top 15 yards per out run. But when we look at James Cook, I think this is why they took him. It was partly because they wanted to get McKissick. McKissick didn't, uh, end up signing with them. So they go with James Cook, who profiles as a much better receiving back. And I think he's going to get a really big chunk, if not all of those routes that Devin Singletary had last year. And he fits that role much better. He had the fifth best receiving grade uh, per PFF last year in this class ahead of Isaiah Spiller and Brees Hall guys who were like our pre-draft, like one and twos, uh, higher than Kenneth Walker. And this tweet's really good as well. Uh, he 
earns targets at a at a really well rate or at a really good rate. I don't know. That sounded weird, but 20.1% targets per route run. So on one out of every five of his routes, he's getting a, a target. So if you do some quick math on that, I'm not saying that 20% is going to translate, but 20% of like 378 is like what? It's got to be somewhere. It's got to be somewhere in the range of like 70, 80 targets. Now, I don't think that that's what he's going to see, but I think 50, 60, 70 targets is it like it's doable. I think Michael Carter on the Jets last year had like 55 targets. So it's, it's doable for sure. And he goes to a really good spot where he's on the bills. They're going to be very efficient, high volume offense. You look at James Cook on the bottom here, yards per out run. He had the best yards per out run as well. 1.98. These are college running backs from 2018 to 2021. He had the best target per out run rate and the best yards per out run. Really, really strong stuff from James Cook. He is a very efficient, good receiving threat in the NFL, he goes to the Buffalo Bills, who since 2018 have been third in neutral game passing rate. So how often they're passing in non-garbage time situations. And they're going to pass a ton. They're going to score a ton. And I imagine that James Cook can kind of be the the role I see for him, like in terms of maybe like his his upper tier outcome is kind of like a young Austin Eckler, where remember when Austin Eckler was with the with Melvin Gordon, but he was still super efficient, could get like 10 to 12 touches a game and still turn that into like high-end RB2 production. I think that's what we're going to see from James Cook. I think that he can be anywhere. I think off the bat, he'll be in that like eight to 12 touches per game. It's going to be, he's going to be very efficient on those touches. A lot of them are going to be through the air. And then I think that if he does kind of like blossom into a better running back, you're talking about maybe like 10 to 15 touches per game, uber efficient in the mold of an Austin Eckler. Um, Again, I don't think he'll ever be a bell cow. I don't think he'll ever be like a top 12 dynasty running back asset, but I do think that he is going to be a fun uh, option for the bills and probably return fantasy points as early as year one. Now, our next running back in this tier, again, I, I want to make this clear about these tiers. If you, uh, between each tiers, I feel very strongly about each tier separating each running back. But if you want to, in your own rankings, if you want to swap, you know, running backs and have, you know, uh, this next running back we're going to talk about actually is Rashad White. And if you want to put him at RB3, I, ha I have no, I have no argument against that. I actually myself want to put him RB3. I have James Cook and Rashad White back to back in the rookie rankings. Like literally, uh, one of them is like, I think one of them is like 203. The next one's like 204. I, I like both of these guys a lot. Now, when we talk about uh, Rashad White, he goes to the Buccaneers in the third round instead of the second round. He comes out even with day two draft capital. He comes out as a bronze in my model. Now, I'm actually overriding it. And in these rankings, I'm pretty much treating him as a silver because his, his college profile is very weird where it's very tough to communicate through numbers the kind of career that he had because he goes to Juco for like, I want to say one or two years. He transfers to Arizona state first year where he's like a meaningful starter on Arizona state. It's a COVID year where the PAC 12 plays like four games. So that year doesn't even count in my model. You need to play at least six games for your season to count. So it only counts as like senior season where he dominated, but one year of dominant production and third round draft capital isn't enough in the model. It's close, but it's not enough. So I'm treating him as like a silver in my head and I think he has some of the highest upside in the entire class. We did a, a top five running back video a while back where I went through kind of my model and his comps come out really well. He, come, he has like Tony Pollard, Aaron Jones. There was a third one that was pretty sweet as well. But he gets he, he has some really sweet comps in that bronze area, even with a bad profile, just because of the receiving upside is so crazy. Now, when we look at his receiving profile, he he looks wild. This is my running backs that are, these are all day two running backs filtered by their peak season and receiving yard market share. So his highest ever receiving yard market share season, 18.02%. That's really, really good. 
Uh, he is right in this range where, I mean, you have the guys at the top, like Ty Montgomery, who played like wide receiver in college, Dre Archer, Dexter McCluster. I think they also played a little bit wide receiver, but from a pure running back standpoint, he is up there. I highlighted the names, but he's up there with David Johnson, Antonio Gibson, Dalvin Cook, DeMarco Murray, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, Matt Forte as a receiving option. I think those are some really strong like ceiling comps for him. I don't think that it's out of the question that he could be like a David Johnson, uh, Alvin Kamara type guy in the NFL. Now, those are, you know, 99th percentile ceiling outcomes, but he has insane upside because when you talk about his receiving works uh, skill set, he has it all. And then when you talk about upside, we're talking about in terms of running backs, when we talk about upside, we are talking about receiving uh, ability and then also athleticism. And he is really athletic. He has elite grades per RAS and explosion and speed. He has good size at six foot, 214 pounds. He's pretty much got everything you want for a home run type swing on a running back prospect. Now he goes to Tampa Bay who isn't a it's not a perfect spot, but it's a really good spot for, for an archetype like this. And it kind of reminds me a little bit. It does give me some vibes of like Kamara going to the Saints where they already had like Mark Ingram and Adrian Peterson there. You just want a guy who is going to go to a system that's going to score a ton like you have with the Buccaneers. And then also it's a spot where, you know, he can kind of find his role as that receiving back James White type guy for the Buccaneers. And then should anything happen to Leonard Fournette, it is absolute wheels up for Rashad White. Now, he's going to be competing for those change of pace touches with like Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm really not too concerned about that. And when we talk about Fournette, it's a little bit tough because Fournette signed a three-year deal. I think they don't have an out until not after this season, but the next season. So after the 2023 season. So he's going to be there for pretty much the long term. But what we've seen with Fournette is like he's never stayed healthy. He missed three games last year, four games before that. He was relatively healthy that year before that. Then the year before. So we're talking like, I think this is like his second year now. He missed like eight games before that. He played like a full season. But then in college, he was getting hurt all the time. He is a pretty good bet to miss like three to four games, which in his absence, Rashad White will come in there and be instantly like a top 12 running back if he does, you know, beat out Keyshawn Vaughn for that running back two spot. So a ton of upside. Uh, He has that like Kamara, David Johnson type skill set really just comes down to, you know, he's a little bit more red flags in terms of his college production than those guys. But again, I think that that is partly just because of his weird like juco uh covid year type number so he's a guy i love if you want to have him as high as rb3 you can go ahead and do that now this is where it gets even geez dude this this running back class is is just disgusting we go down here to c tier and this is where we're going to have isaiah spiller isaiah spiller oh didn't mean to do that isaiah spiller rb5 he goes fourth round 123rd overall to the chargers and Isaiah Spiller definitely fell down my rankings. He was pretty firmly my RB3 going into the draft. He now falls down to RB5, and he has some legit concerns. You know, a guy who was supposed to be like a top two running back in this class, was supposed to be like a second-round pick in draft capital. He falls to day three, which is a really big red flag. He also has efficiency concerns. I know that Noah Hills, um, he's on uh, BDGE's channel, and his efficiency was really bad. So there's a lot of red flags with the profile. But Isaiah Spiller is the last silver running back in our database. He, I have him behind Rashad White. I'm putting Rashad White ahead of him. I have him in a full tier behind Rashad White. But this is as, as low as I can do for him because he is a really strong prospect for a day three running back, right? For a day three running back, he is pretty much all you could hope for. He hits my thresholds across the board uh, for rushing market share, receiving yard market share, uh, adjusted team, team, adjusted yards for team pass or adjusted yards for team play. Across the board, he hits all of my thresholds. He was a mega producer in college, 21-year-old early declare, which is really strong as well. 
the only knocks again efficiency day three draft capital and his four six speed but again despite all this the production wins out and he still ends up as a silver running back who hit top 12 seasons at a 25 percent clip which is really strong but when you consider that the rest of these running backs are bronzes and bronzes hit top 12 seasons at like a five percent rate now the impressive part with Isaiah Spiller is that he is one of only eight running backs since 2007 to, to be a silver running back prospect but also get picked on day three so these are guys who despite their draft capital still shine through and it's a pretty strong list I mean you have Jordan Howard you have Jay Ajayi Devontae Freeman Lamar Miller after that pretty much falls off now I, I ordered these guys by their 40 yard dash time Isaiah Spiller is the slowest of the bunch which isn't great and if you want to talk about guys that kind of fit into his area of uh, relative athletic score RAS you are talking about Kenneth Gainwell Jordan Howard Devonta Freeman Jaquiz Rogers I think that Jordan Howard is kind of a decent comp for him and I think that when you look at this list of running backs and you consider that Isaiah Spiller is going at like the 2-3 turn in rookie drafts that's not a fine swing at all I also don't hate the landing spot he goes to the Chargers and this is going to be a high scoring offense tied to Justin Herbert for the foreseeable future and we've seen spots last year where I think Justin Jackson was like a a league winner uh, I remember Pete Overs, I, I could be talking my ass here, but I do believe that Pete Overs that had Justin Jackson. No, I could be wrong. I want to say that might have been Jacob Sanderson, but J- Justin Jackson in like uh, the fantasy playoffs was a league winner when J- Austin Eckler went down. Austin Eckler has never been a workhorse. He has never hit a thousand rushing yards. He is never going to be a guy who demands like 20 plus touches and there's no room for every- everyone else. He's also a guy who has like missed some time here and there. We've seen Justin Jackson, Josh Kelly, even like Larry Roundtree kind of mix in here and there. Isaiah Spiller is going to have every opportunity to mix in. There are, outside of Austin Eckler, there were 100, there were more than 100 carries going to other running backs. There were over 30 targets going to other running backs. Austin Eckler's 27. Could be, you know, he'd get into that age where he could decline, he could get hurt. So you're talking about Isaiah Spiller where he's going to have pretty much every opportunity to shine where they're going to sort of I mean last year when it was like week one Larry Roundtree was the backup and then uh Justin Jackson was the backup Joshua Kelly really never flashed but they were sort of rotating in those those backup running backs trying to get a true number two and I think that Isaiah Spiller profiles a little bit better as a bigger back that can sort of go between the tackles a little bit better than somebody like a Justin Jackson so he's going to have every opportunity he looks good on paper it's a fun landing spot so I'm a fan uh, I don't mind Isaiah Spiller. I think that he's going to get pushed down really far in your rookie drafts. If you can get him in like the late second, I'm pretty much into it. Now, this is going to be pretty much our... If you guys watched yesterday, I had a, a George Pickens, Chris Olave pretty much rant because I don't feel the same way other people do about Olave versus Pickens. This is that debate right here, which is, I guess, Isaiah Spiller versus Damian Pierce. But here's the thing. I have Damian Pierce as my RB6, but the... The Damian Pierce love that I see on the timeline and I see on YouTube, I've seen people say like Damian Pierce should be a, f- a late first round rookie pick. I've seen that from two reputable analysts now. It's blasphemy. We are pretty much doing the same thing we did with Trey Sermon, the same thing we did with like Michael Carter, the same thing we did with Keyshawn Vaughn with Damian Pierce. We are falling in love with a a bad profile on a juicy landing spot and that or not even a juicy landing spot, just an, uh, an empty depth chart and sort of running with it. And I kind of want to talk about why I'm lower on, on Damian Pierce. First of all, he's a bronze prospect. He, he's not good, even though he has day two draft capital, which is huge for running backs. The biggest narrative on Damian Pierce is screw your numbers. Mullen was awful at Florida. He didn't use players the correct way. Just trust the tape when it comes to Damian Pierce. And the problem is, is that I have tape factors in my model. I have film grades that I use. I use 
I know he didn't go day two. I don't know why I said day two earlier. He went day three, but I, I have in the model, I have inputs that are from tape. And the first one is Lance Deerline, who is NFL draft media's uh, pro scout. He is really good at what he does. He, he unearthed guys like Alvin Kamara, Dalvin, uh, he had like a, like a top five type grade on Dalvin Cook, even though he won second round. He had Jordan Howard as like a, uh, he gave Jordan Howard a first round grade, even though that Jordan Howard was like a fifth round pick in the NFL. He is really good at what he does. His strongest grading is on running backs. He's very good at grading running backs. So when you look at Damian Pierce, you look at his Lanzier line grade, and you hear how good he looks on tape, it should be a lot better than it is. And it's really not that good. He graded out as the RB6 in this class. And he has a 6.19 grade, which puts him in the tier of 6.1 to 6.19 is a tier that is labeled good backup with potential development to a starter. It doesn't sound like somebody who really pops off tape to me and looks like undeniable on tape. He was also a fourth round pick. So the NFL, my other film input is Lanzier line grade and then NFL draft capital. The NFL draft or the NFL, you know, scouting complex viewed him as a day three pick. It's tough to say that he is that elite talent on film that a lot of people are sort of claiming here. It's it's not, I can't trust enough that the, the tape that people are watching isn't what is showing up in terms of the numbers. Now, I think that a lot of people are also really overestimating or are really underestimating the difference from round three to round four draft capital. A lot of people think that like the difference between Rashad White going round three and Damian Pierce going round four isn't that big. I think this is one of the biggest mistakes that the dynasty community makes that like, okay, well, round one to round two isn't that big. Round two to round three isn't that big. Round three to round four isn't that big. It's that round four to round five drop off. I, I, I always hear that like round four isn't that bad and it's kind of viewed as almost like it's almost like a day two pick but i think that's super misguided i did the research this offseason for these rs grades where you look at this here this is i tracked every running back since 2007 to 2019 every running back that has played three or more seasons in the nfl i tracked their points per game through their first three seasons by round first rounders have a 13 point per game through their first three seasons round two 9.39 round three 9.11 so very close day two is really what matters for running backs from day two, right from that round three to round four, there is a massive drop-off. Round four, 5.58 points per game. Almost half of what you're getting on day two. Round five, 5.53 points per game. Really not even a difference from round four. So round four is much closer to round five than it is to round three, and it's not even close. It Round four draft capital might as well be round five draft capital. Then you see another drop-off from round six and round seven, at around like three points per game. So to say that like round four isn't that far off from round three, in your head, you might as well treat round four draft capital as round five draft capital instead of, you know, sort of treating it as like round three draft capital plus because it's not. It is a much it is a much more negative indicator than third round draft capital. When a running back goes in the fourth round, you get paid less. Day three is just, you know, the whole a whole day passes. These are just guys that people are taking or teams are taking flyers on and they have no long term, you know, ties to those players. So to say like oh but he still got round four draft capital it's not that bad it is pretty bad day three is day three now the next argument that i hear is well if lance zero in the nfl draft media doesn't or nfl uh scouting complex doesn't think that he looks good on, on tape yards created does i know you love yards created i keep on hearing him getting uh yards created getting like cited as like damian pierce and why he looks good and even graham barfield says it uh the creator of yards created 
his yards created wasn't good. He had a 4.53 yards created per attempt, which is the input in my model. Anybody that has over a, a I believe it's like 5.53 gets a big multiplier on my model. That's what Kenneth Walker hit. At least Kenneth Walker, he shined. He had a 92nd percentile yards created. He actually looked good in that category. Damian Pierce had a 43rd percentile yards created. Like he wasn't even, he wasn't even average at yards created. So I don't understand I, I don't understand the takes here that like he looks great on tape and his yards created is solid. It's really not. His yards created isn't special. His land line grade isn't special. His draft capital was day three. I have a really hard time seeing like I I, I try and quantify all the because I don't watch tape. I can't. I, I could go out there and watch like I could watch Deuce Vaughn and Deuce Vaughn in Kansas State is one of the sickest running backs ever. He looks he's like this five six guy is like Darren Sproles, really really fun guy. And I could watch his highlights and be like this guy is sick. But I can't sit there and watch a guy and say these traits will transfer to the NFL. That's not a skill that I have. So I defer to others. I look at film grade from lens your line. I look at NFL draft capital and yards created. He was average to below average in all of those. He didn't pop in any single one of them. So I have a hard time with the people that are pushing up Damian Pierce because he looks great on tape. I don't see it from the number standpoint. I don't see it. Um, now when we get past that, his production profile sucks. It's really bad. He never saw more than 28% of Florida's carries at any point in time. It's rough. I, I don't understand how people kind of think that he is going to be, you know, the RB1 for Houston from day one. I know that he goes to a, a relatively empty depth chart. People are just saying, okay, he's going to be pretty much the RB1 in the mix there from day one. If he couldn't beat like Michael P. Ryan out for RB1 duties at Florida, I have a tough time believing that he is going to beat out Marlon Mack, who I'm actually a really big fan of now he was really good through like three four years he's solid he's coming off i think he's like year two now removed from that achilles injury you also have rex burkhead who will just never go away i know that rex burkhead is silly to say but he will never go away he will always have you know his his splash weeks and be involved in the passing game and there's there's still a chance that they could bring in like a free agent or do something stupid like the texans do where they trade for somebody like they traded for david johnson a few years back they could do something wild like that so i think it is pretty fragile I think it's also pretty funny to sort of expect him to be the day one bell cow when he's never been a bell cow during his entire collegiate career. So it's tough. I actually think that after I wrote this blurb up for Damian Pierce, I think that Marlon Mack's actually a great buy now. Now, with all that being said, after that entire rant, I have Damian Pierce as my RB6. So that's not bad. That's about where market probably has him. I want to say that most of the market's going to have him at like RB5 at the at the worst probably. I just disagree with his price. I, I don't understand the I don't understand the buzz that he should be going late first that I've seen from 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 some analysts like even early second. I seen him go two a two in a rookie draft of mine. I can't get there. I have him personally as like my two twelve. If you want to take him like the the back half of the second, go for it. But anything else I think is is a wild misuse of your draft cup. If you're going to take Damian Pierce at the at the two o two, trade your two o two to the Marlon Mack owner and go grab like a 2023 second if you could do like 2023 second plus marlon mack go trade that two or two away save yourself the trouble of that there's just no way i mean maybe he gives you like fringe rb2 production in year one and then past that it's done i I don't know man if you want if you want to have a near-term play at running back that you can just flip later for profit just take ty davis price later um i i just don't really see the the you know i don't see how he has more upside than a ty davis price where you kind of need uh maybe not even an injury just things to break right for him to be a guy that you can even make a profit on because you're you're buying him at like an early second. I don't think that in season you can you'll ever be able to say like yeah I'll be able to sell him for a 2023 first. No shot, no shot. Maybe a 2023 second, but at that point you could just trade the 202 for that. Um, now moving on from there, 
we have Ty Davis Price, who is going to be in the same tier. Um, I'm in my RB7. And I'm really coming around on Ty Davis Price. He wasn't really even on my radar before the draft, but he gets round three draft capital and goes to the 49ers. So that's really fun because we now have a player that is pretty much like almost exactly like Trey Sermon and that he was just a, a round three running back that Kyle Shannon laid his eyes on, liked, except you're not paying the price of Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon, I didn't get him anywhere last year. People were drafting him like the late first were just falling over their, uh, falling over themselves for him. Whereas Ty Davis Price, you're getting him at like, early to mid third round rookie price which is which is really solid for a guy who goes to this Kyle Shanahan system which has always produced running backs and it's always been a meritocracy where the best running back wins out I kind of like him uh he's six foot 219 pounds he has fine size he has great speed for his size 448 90th percentile speed score and we're talking about bronzes here so there's not really a point in talking about like production and all that you're really just talking about draft capital potential role in terms of are they a between the tackles guy are they all purpose can they catch and run between the tackles are they just a receiving back with ty davis price you're looking at a sort of a between the tackles guy with some juice and that's really fun in kyle shanahan's offense right he's going to be kind of that inside zone scheme type guy where if elijah mitchell gets hurt where he got hurt last year i mean shanahan loves to run these running backs into the ground where he will just run them until they get hurt he did that with mitchell he did that with raheem mostert and Mitchell's more of like the outside zone guy. Ty Davis Price can kind of be that inside banger. And if Mitchell gets hurt, you're looking at, like, it, it wouldn't shock me at all if if Price comes in there and just rips off, like, six, like, top 15 running back point per game uh, numbers. Like, I think Jeff Wilson did it, not last season, but the year before that, where, like, the last, like, five or six games, Jeff Wilson went on an absolute tear. It, it wouldn't be very hard to see that with Ty Davis Price. That's why I'm into him. I think that it's very easy where if Mitchell does go down, he's an undersized back. Shanahan loves to run his running backs into the dirt. You get one or two games for him to pop off. You can turn a, a, a mid-third in 2022 into like a 2023 mid-second pretty easily. Now, our last running back in this tier, RB8, is Brian Robinson. And I don't love his profile at all. He, When it comes to Brian Robinson, we're just pretty much talking about the last running back left here that went on day two. He went third round to the Washington football team or the Washington Commanders. It's not a great spot, right? Because he doesn't really have a clear, uh, like he's not going to take somebody's job. He's not going to supplant like Antonio Gibson as a between the tackles guy. He's not going to supplant McKissick as the passing down guy. You are pretty much looking at a guy with round three draft capital that has size and is a upside handcuff play. He's 224 pounds, 6'2". He's a big dude, but that's about it. His comp on player profile is Gus Edwards, which I think is like, which I think is a fair comp. I should have had this up earlier, but it's a fair comp. It's not really something I'm shooting for, but I do think like the early third, it's a fine swing because if Antonio Gibson does go down or something, he can come in there and give you some meaningful upside pretty immediately. But that's really all I can say about him. Not a, not a huge fan of him. He's super old. He's like 23, never really popped to Alabama until literally everybody left the running back room. And then he popped to this year. Uh, just not a, not a great prospect, but again, day two draft capital is really all we can point to at this point. Now in D tier, our first running back here is going to be Tyler Algier, RB9 in D tier. And I know that uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to end up with a ton of Tyler Algier because I know a lot of you guys are going to push him up into that late second range, but he's really fun. He goes day three. So he goes like fifth round, but again, fifth round isn't really a uh, fifth round sounds bad, but like the difference between fourth round and fifth round isn't that bad. Um, So he goes, he goes fifth round. He's big, 5'11", 220 pounds. He's a thick boy, and you can catch passes. So he's a really nice skill set as a guy that could seize a role almost immediately. And 
his his only issue from an upside perspective is he's not very athletic. He runs like a four six. He kind of looks like Zach Moss according to player profile, which isn't a terrible comp for him. But his landing spot is pretty much his biggest plus at this point that he's this all purpose running back and he goes to a depth chart <clears throat> on the Falcons that pretty much just has Cordell Patterson, who's probably going to play a little bit of a hybrid between running back and wide receiver. And then he's competing with Damian Williams and Quadriolison. So if he's talented, he's going to get touches. I think that he 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 sort of feels a lot like this year's, you know, like Ramondre Stevenson, Khalil Herbert, or I think that he is going to sort of have some flashes. And then we could see like three, four, five games where he comes in there and averages like RB2 point per game type numbers. It's not super hard to see. Again, though, I don't think I'm going to have any of him. I have him as an early third. I think he's going to go, you know, mid to late seconds in most drafts. Now, our last running back here, our RB10, is Zamir White. He went fourth round, 122nd overall, to the Las Vegas Raiders. With Samir White, his profile looks good, not because his production is anything crazy, but he's a really good athlete, right? So he's six foot, 214 pounds, 4'4 speed, great speed score, all of that good stuff. And then he also went to Georgia. So he played against SEC competition. That's a big thing as well. That's pretty much all you really get with him. So he has the best RS grade among all bronzes, which isn't a huge plus, but it is something. And then he also was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. He has that going for him. I think he also has like ACL tear, like injury type issues. So that's a little bit tough. He's also never been efficient. He's also never been a great pass catcher. You're pretty much just looking at a guy who has NFL size, NFL speed, and goes to a landing spot in the Raiders where you're pretty much drafting handcuffs at this point. But if Josh Jacobs goes down, he would be the between the tackles guy pretty much instantly. And that's a, a pretty valuable role. When last year we had uh, Josh Jacobs go down, we thought Kenyon Drake was going to be between was going to be the between the tackles guy but it ended up being Kenyon Drake or not Kenyon Drake ended up being Peyton Barber who like kind of gave us like usable fantasy weeks Zamir White could be that next year the Raiders also didn't pick up Josh Jacobs fifth year option so next year Zamir White has a pathway to be the RB1 though I do expect him to probably bring somebody else in by that point in time but he is a fun upside swing I also realized I didn't I didn't put him in D tier but he's a fun upside swing he has size he has speed should somebody go down he would be a great fill-in at that point. That's pretty much what you're looking at. at past at D tier and beyond, you're looking at guys where the starter goes down, they need to be the immediate guy in line that can be next year's like Khalil Herbert. Um, I don't think of the other guys in that range, but I think Khalil Herbert is pretty much the best name I can think of off the top of my head. Now, that's going to do it for us today. This is the tier list here and all of her glory. Um, as always, if you want access to my entire running back rankings, my entire wide receiver rankings, my dynasty rankings, all of that good stuff, it is all on patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. I just dropped my top 50 dynasty super flex tight end premium rankings on there. So if you need, top, you're like a top, I know a lot of us have like four round rookie drafts. If you need four plus rounds of rookie draft rankings, that is all on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. And I know I keep saying this and I know I keep pushing this out, but we're going to have an update on Patreon that, that puts the $5 tier up to like $8 and then some other tiers in between. Everybody that joins for $5 between now and Sunday when I make that update are going to be grandfathered in at a $5 rate until the end of time when you stop subscribing. So if you want to get in for a discounted price and you want to, you know, you plan on using my seasonal rankings and you plan on using my dynasty rankings, all that good stuff in the future, now is the time to get in. As always, I love you guys. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. This ended up being, wow, 45 minutes, but this is a deep dive on my top 10 running backs. As always, I love you guys, and I will see you in the next one. I got the juice, I got the juice. Geno, Chatham's on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kinda glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag up on. Rapper song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner.